Georgia trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move by in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Lead pass to Tim Hill, Bobby C, the voice, my man, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Randy. How are you? Always great to come back on the show. Doing good, man. Can't complain. Uh, this is your second go around here on the Retro Room. You were part of season one, I believe, in the... Uh we remixed the NBA Top 50, and we spoke about the Nixon Heat rivalry from the 90s, but now I got you on a very, very special episode um, that we, we were both around for. Uh, we know a, a little bit about it, but to kind of sum everything, it's really about Michael Jordan going to the Washington Wizards in 2001, but I think it's very important that we speak about um, you know, the background behind the final year of the, uh, the Chicago Bulls dynasty in 1998 and how they just dismantled from Jordan retiring to Phil Jackson leaving, Jerry Krause playing a big part of everybody leaving, Scotty leaving, Rodman leaving, Kerr, everybody you know on that roster um, had left. So when they came back in 99, it was definitely not, not the same team. Uh, that won the championship a year prior. So I felt it was a very important topic to 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 talk about. And for me, I felt you were the guy to come on the show and talk about that with me. Well, I think it's important to note, Randy, that when you have me on the show, I only talk about the greatest. The last time it was the Top 50 remix, and now I'm talking about the greatest player mm. of all time and Michael Jordan. Right. So before we get started, you can find Bobby on Twitter, at the voice Bobby C, he is uh, the sports director of BronxNet Television and WFUV ninety point seven FM. A very busy guy, so so we I was tracking him down for a week to do this show, and here we are. Also, you can find me on Twitter at Randy J Cruz R E N D Y the letter J C R U Z, and you can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, give us a download, rate, comment, subscribe, uh, show us some love and support. So, Bob, I'm going to put you back in 1998. The Chicago Bulls are coming off their second three-peat, uh, defeating the Utah Jazz in back-to-back years. Six championships for Chicago in the 90s. Jordan, arguably the GOAT, the greatest player of all time. But most at that time did not really know that it was just the beginning of a dynasty you know within the organization within the coaches and players they probably knew it was the last go, uh, go around 
and I think they're doing a big mega documentary on ESPN. I think uh, for next year about um, that that's that that final season, which I think it'll be ten parts. So I can't wait for that. So I'll put you back in '98. Um, when they won the championship against Utah, um, did you have you as a fan? Did you have any inclination that? This Chicago Bulls team was not going to be the same as they when they came back in 1999. You know, Randy, it's so crazy because you look back at that final series, and I think the number one memory that I will always have of Michael Jordan, and this is coming from somebody that is not a Bulls fan and not particularly even during the course of my younger life a Michael Jordan fan, mm. is watching that shot, albeit maybe with a little MJ flair, over Byron Russell to clinch that sixth title against the Jazz. I mean, to me, that is the way MJ should have gone out. He hits that shot. It's incredible. And they win, you know, six out of eight years, mm-hmm. back to back to back, three-peat twice. To me, that would be the equivalent of what it would have been like for maybe Tom Brady to walk away after coming back against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. It would have had that kind of impact. I'm the greatest. I'm closing the chapter. I'm going out the way I want to go out. But as often is said mm-hmm. with great players, it's hard to walk away, Randy. Yeah. And even if MJ was going to walk away from the Bulls, his desire to play basketball Never stopped. You know, there were reports even at age 50 that MJ was considering another comeback. Could you imagine? And at that time, as you know, Mm -hmm. that wasn't even the first comeback for him. You're talking about walking away from the game on basically a few occasions and coming back. So to me, the greatest tragedy, in my opinion, looking back at 1998 as two things. And this is coming from, again, someone that grew up as passionate and diehard a Knicks fan as anyone, if not more, is that as I got older and grew to appreciate the greatness that is Michael Jordan, I wish he would have never gone to play baseball because I think they would have won those two championships. Mm -hmm. They would have won eight in a row. And my goodness, I wish MJ would have hit that shot over Russell and walked away just like that. I mean, that is a, a very uh, storybook kind of ending, a very Hollywood ending. But th- I, I think when people mention the biggest what-ifs um, in NBA history, I mean, there is, you know, someone like, like a major injury. You know, we talk about, Guys like T Mac and Penny Hardaway and Grant Hill. What if they were healthy enough? Could they have won championships and all that stuff? But to me, anybody who would ask me what's the biggest what if in NBA history, as far as as far as what I've been uh, alive to, to to see, is the fact that if Michael Jordan never retired in 1993, would they have won 94? We'll never know against the Rockets. 95. We'll never know against the Houston Rockets. Can't would Chicago have won eight in a row? 
we would never know. But at that particular time, we can we can debate and do barbershop arguments and say, you know what, Chicago would have won eight. That would have been very very tough to do. You know, we, we got a guy like like now LeBron who, who went to eight straight finals, and even that was difficult. He, he he didn't win majority of them, but still he got there eight times. And you talk about the same team. Getting to the finals eight eight consecutive years, they, they might have done a little remixing here and there, but still to get there every single year and play play till June. Um, to me, again, if Michael does not go to play baseball, would he be uh, an eight time champ? We'll never know. But I think to me, that's the biggest what if in in NBA history. You know, one of the things, Randy, that I think the younger generation could probably appreciate now, and maybe it's not the same exact parallel, but it's similar, is watching this year's Golden State Warriors. Because the Golden State Warriors that the younger generation has been witness to right now is very much the equivalent of what those Chicago Bulls teams were to our generation back then, at least in my opinion. So this year you come into the season and albeit maybe under different circumstances, but not totally different. You see a player like Kevin Durant walk away in free agency, a slew of injuries happen to Golden State. And through the first 10 games of the NBA season, they're the worst team in the league. They have the worst record. They have been a dynasty. They have been nearly unbeatable, but the way they were constructed made them nearly unbeatable. That was the same way for the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan was no longer part of that team. And even if they were good enough to get close to winning a championship with Scottie Pippen running the show, and he was an incredible player, there is no doubt about it. Pippen was one of the greatest players of all time. The bottom line remains that Michael Jordan went to six finals and he's six and zero in the NBA finals. Right. And when he walked away from the game, he was the best player in the game. I don't think there's anybody that would have told you back then without blinking an eyelash that Michael Jordan was the best player in the game when he walked away from it both times. And when he returned to come back to the league playing for the wizards, He still was a guy that averaged 20 points a game, but he was no longer the best player in the game. Mm -hmm. Albeit maybe at that point still a top maybe 15 player in the game, especially offensively. But I, I, you know, this is another point and maybe it's kind of off tangent, but might be similar. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at sports sometimes the way movie fanatics look at, movies and trilogies and and movies that they love you know whether it's these epic series like fast and the furious or star wars when you love a movie so much and the characters so much you can't get enough of them exactly so you want these movie companies these directors to come out with another film and it doesn't matter if the first trilogy is epic. You know, you look at Star Wars, and again, not to go off on a tangent, but those th- first three films are classics. They are near perfection, the first three Star Wars films. And as good as some of the other movies may have been, the bottom line is you could question whether or not any of those movies should be, you know, be made. 
because those first three movies are so incredible that it would be hard to ever get close to them again. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liken that movie analogy to how we feel about our sports heroes. It's hard for us, even as fans, to not welcome players back if they want to come back. You know Chicago Bulls fans or MJ fans, if the guy was 50 and he would have said, you know what, I'm back, I'm coming back, they would have welcomed him back to the NBA with open arms. Damn right. Even Even if the bottom line was he was no longer anywhere near the player that he once was. It's the same thing tonight in the NBA when the Trailblazers are unveiling their newest acquisition, double zero, Carmelo Anthony. Fans remember what Carmelo was at Syracuse. Mm -hmm. They remember him winning a scoring championship with the Knicks, being a 10-time All-Star. But they don't realize that he's 35 years old now and he's probably a guy that's going to you know, play 15 to 20 minutes a night and probably not be an all-star. But they'd rather see him in the league than not see him in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, again, and the same, the same point made about someone like Tom Brady. You know, yeah, the Patriots only have one loss this season, but his offense and his caliber of play have not been what maybe Tom Brady's been at the top of his game. But fans would rather see him in the league than not because he's so great. It's hard for the player to walk away, and it's hard for the fans to say goodbye. No, you're right because the same analogy the same analogy goes like for for uh, for pro wrestling. Everybody wants the main guy for to come back for one more match, whether you're Stone Cold, Hogan, The Rock. They see him on TV. They do an interview, but they say, "Hey, man, can you do one more? Can you, you got one more match? Can you come on one more, one more?" And it's like, "Listen, man, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I, I, I did it. I did it when I was uh, younger, but at some point, it's like you, you just can't, you can't hang up the boots. Some, some people go into their fifties, and and that's that's on their, on their dime, but." At some at some point in time, you got to realize when you can you, you can't do the things you can do when you were 20, 25, 30 years old. It's just impossible. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put out the the timeline for you and a couple of these things I want to see if you recall. Um, before that, when when Michael takes that shot over Russell, game six ninety eight, did you at that point? Think all right. That's Michael. You know what's so funny? Bob Costas is, is, is on the air on NBC, and he's already saying that might be the last shot you see Jordan take take in, in the NBA. So if you're a fan or one of the 35 million people watching NBC that night, you're like, holy shit! Like, like what is Bob Costas saying? And then, but some fans, some fans might have just you know ignored it. But he said that might have been the final shot Jordan takes in the NBA. So whether you saw it live or just or whatever, did you feel at that point that that was going to be Jordan's final shot, final game in his NBA career? I think at that point, a couple things had come to mind for me. And, and again, as a lifelong Knicks fan, there was part of me that had finally just grown to appreciate Jordan's greatness. I think at that point, it would be the same analogy as someone that doesn't like LeBron or, again, someone that might not like Tom Brady. You know, you realize at a certain point, yeah, you know what, I might not like this guy, but, man, he's good, you know. Um, so that was the thing that stood out for me with Jordan was 
was that, you know, when someone wins multiple championships, at a certain point, it's not a fluke. It's the same thing that came up with us when we remixed the top 50. And whether someone wants to debate with me or not about Steph Curry, Steph Curry's already, if he retired tomorrow, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest players to ever wear an NBA uniform. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And he doesn't need anything else. The guy's got everything. He doesn't need anything else to solidify himself as one of the greatest players of all time. So to me at that point, how much more did you have to see from Jordan to realize, okay, yeah, maybe he's not number one because there's always going to be that debate. I think Mm -hmm. someone that grew up in the era – of watching, let's say, the Celtics win all those championships. They might throw at you Bill Russell. There'll be the occasional person that'll say Will Chamberlain or even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that probably doesn't get enough love, still the all-time leading scorer. So no matter who you grew up watching or the player that was the player of that generation or decade, you still had to realize, okay, Jordan, after winning number six with that team leading them, this guy's definitely in the conversation whether you like him or not, whether he shouldn't have walked away from basketball or not, whether he's played with great players or not, whether the league was that great then or not. I mean, all these different things that come up. Mm -hmm. You know me, when you and I have the conversation about him, I always talk about the fact that he wasn't only a great offensive player, he was an incredible defensive player. Right. So to me, you have to take that into consideration that the guy was a great two-way player, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and again, not to get off, off the topic. So I think at that time, the thing that stood out for me was, wow, this guy is great. I have, I've witnessed arguably the greatest player. These two eyes have ever seen live, you know, whether it was going to watch him play a professional game at an arena. I even got to watch him play when he was at the wizards with the wizards and, and that final season, I made sure to buy tickets. I always tell young people to do that all the time. And I sincerely say that if you have players that you admire, that heroes that you like to watch or talk about, Mm -hmm. make sure that you go to see them live, no matter who it is, whether it's a star hockey player, Sidney Crosby or an NFL player, again, like Tom Brady or any of these NBA players. I've seen them all, especially from this generation, especially being a reporter. So I made it a point to, watch Kobe Bryant live or LeBron James countless times live because, you know, you only get a chance to see that kind of legendary play pretty much a few times a generation if you're lucky. Right. I mean, to me, Michael Jordan is in that very special class. Mm. He's the kind of player that you tell your kids and grandkids about. Um, So, yeah, so back then, looking back at that moment, I said to myself, you know what? This guy is just, you know, my mom used to say Jordan was an alien, that he wasn't from this planet. (laughs) And I really believe that because, I, you know, as someone that was a Knicks fan and watching him break my heart time after time, there was no real answer to it. There was no way to kind of describe the hurt, the pain that this guy would inflict Mm -hmm. on other teams. But you know what? Back then, Randy, he did it to everybody. There wasn't any great player from the generation that he did not hang an L in a big game on, you know, other than maybe the Rockets. And if he doesn't go to play baseball, I'm sorry. I don't think there's any way someone's going to convince me 
that they do not beat that Houston team as good as they were in both of those championships because Michael Jordan, especially at that point in his career, was in a class all by himself. Hmm. Um, let me let me lay out this timeline, and I want to I want to say a few things. One, all right, so ninety eight second three P Michael wins six, uh, six time champion, six time Finals MVP. He's thirty five uh, in ninety eight, um, and it becomes the end of a dynasty, but. I want to give you these numbers. Did you know? What, one quick one quick note, too, here, Randy. Go so, ahead. again, just to complete that thought, mm-hmm. the two things that went through my mind at that particular point were, one, this guy's the best in the game, hands down. I don't, I don't have to see anything more to, to understand that. And the second thing would have been after that note from Costas would be, thank goodness, maybe the Knicks will finally win a championship <laughs> now that Jordan isn't around. I mean, hey, listen, uh, they, they got there the, the following year. They got there, but, you know, they lost to San Antonio. Very true. Very true. Um, and at that time, you know what, and people will forget this, mm-hmm. the NBA was trying to market Tim Duncan as the replacement to Michael Jordan. Right. Yeah, at that time, I, I know I'll get to it as far as like, you know, post Jordan era. So I am I am gonna get to that. But did you know that the highest rated and most watched NBA Finals game in history was Game Six, nineteen ninety eight, with um, thirty five million people watching that game? Yeah, I mean, I watched it. I thought it was you know it was an incredible game. Incredible game, you know, and, and that's the thing that drives me nuts, too, Randy. It's so hard to get, like, stay on topic with all this because there's so many different layers to it. But, go ahead, go you know, ahead. The uh, people today will tell you that, you know, Jordan didn't really, you know, the league wasn't as good or or the teams or the competition. I mean, that Utah Jazz team was really good. I mean, if the, if the Bulls were known for Pippen and Jordan, you can't tell me that Stockton and Malone weren't two of the best players in the game at that time. And maybe, again, of all time, they're two Hall of Famers mm-hmm. playing on the same team. And they had other good players. It wasn't just the, just those two guys. Just like the Bulls had role players, so did the Jazz. Right. He beat everybody, Randy. You know, and again, I, you know, I, I only really grew to appreciate how incredible he was as his career winded down and then after he left. You know, and, and I think that goes back to the old adage of what, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone kind of thing. It would be the same, almost, well, not exactly the same, but sort of the same as a Nick fan about what it was like once Patrick Ewing was gone. It was like, man, you know what? We never gave that guy enough credit. Yeah, he didn't win a championship, but how good was it to be in the conversation every single year thanks to Patrick Ewing? Mm-hmm. Just like as a Bulls fan now, you really appreciate what it was like to have those guys on your team. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know. big time. The same thing if Golden State is going down the tubes for sure, which I can't say that is the case because Curry is out and Kevin Durant is gone and they got a lot of young players and their team has been decimated from the dynasty team. Mm-hmm. But a Golden State Warrior fan that had this run if it is indeed over, which it may very well be over, is going to look back at that 
you know, that window, that five, six year window and say, man, that was some run. Yeah. Um, I think pretty much most of America had had an, an idea that this could be the final go around because in the record books, the highest rated and most watched NBA final series of all time was the 1998 finals between Chicago and Utah, averaging 29 million people watching on NBC. Did you know that? I did not know that, but it does not surprise me. You know, again, I I cannot stress enough how Michael Jordan had really changed. I think, you know, Randy, it, it's so many different things. You know, I'll give a lot of credit to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird for resurrecting the NBA in right. the 80s, mm-hmm. taking the association and their rivalry from college carrying it over into the NBA with these two power teams from yesteryear and the Lakers and the Celtics and making the NBA go from a league that at one point had games on tape delay, Randy. They had NBA games that were shown on tape delay. That's how the league had gone from pretty much, you know, I I think at that point, you know, baseball and the NFL were still far ahead and the NBA was, you know, I would think in this country ahead of the NHL, but definitely nowhere near the NFL or Major League Baseball until Magic and and Bird resurrected it. But it was Michael Jordan that took what they maybe put on the map and made the NBA into, I think, arguably the best league of all the four major leagues in this country and maybe the world, I think the NBA game is as global and maybe I'm, I'm stretching it here, but I, I put it in the same category to some degree as soccer. You know, I think maybe soccer in this country still not number one, but around the world it's up there. And I think you can make a case that the NBA may not be number one in this country either, but it definitely has a lot of global ties that other other you know of the other major sports does not have. You know, I don't think there's any surprise in my mind, I don't know if you feel the same way, that the NFL is playing these international games, you know, like last night in Mexico City. They are trying to replicate some of the model that the NBA has been able to replicate successfully. But I don't think there's any league that is doing it on the level that the NBA is, in which case Michael Jordan at that time was I, I think he had you have to put him up there at the top, Randy, right? He's the number one athlete in the world at that time. I, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, to Definitely. me, he would have been in that same conversation as any of those, you know, major soccer stars internationally. I mean, globally, like more, Jordan's impact on the NBA not just as a player, goes beyond goes beyond it. I mean, I think the the fashion, even to some degree in the league, even to this day, mm-hmm. should pay homage to Michael Jordan. And I'm not saying he dressed, you know, like like Westbrook dressed like Jordan or Jordan dressed like Westbrook. I'm I'm saying even just the sneaker culture, the way players wore their shorts, the way MJ defined in-game fashion. The way MJ changed the artistry of the dunk, 
I mean, I think he he revolutionized what we now know as the dunk contest. Right. I mean, you could you could pay tribute to MJ in so many different ways. And I, I always tell the young people that I debate this with that every player that they idolize in the game today, specifically someone like LeBron James, LeBron has tried his best to become the modern version of Jordan, whether it's wearing number 23 or trying to win those number of championships. I mean, he is the guy that everyone aspires to be. He's the global icon. And the guy still sells more shoes than anybody else. (laughs) And he he hasn't played in a game in decades. Even retired, he still sells the most sneakers out there. Unbelievable, right? You know, and they put him, you know, Randy, you're a big, you know, video game guy. I mean, they've even put him on the cover of some of these NBA games when he's been out of the league for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he's the one player that a young kid still knows from that generation. I, you know, you, you might be able to pull a 10-year-old kid aside and ask him about, let's say, those three guys, Magic, Bird, and, and Jordan. I don't know if he would know who Magic or Bird was, but I, I got a pretty good sensation that he would know who Michael Jordan is. Oh, absolutely. Space Jam. <laughs> That's why. But even that, even that changed the game. Even Space Jam was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. This was, you know, this was one of the biggest stars in professional sports becoming essentially a movie star. Yeah. I mean, he was a commercial star, whether it was Gatorade or the sneaker commercials. I mean, I think his hand was involved in so many different places his impact was just you know i mean that's why he wasn't such you know so he's just such a powerful figure i think in in sports history you know to me and again it's probably a topic for another show but you know he would be in that same class when we start talking about people that had impact away from their sport whether it's muhammad ali you know just just certain figures that you go that guy was a game changer you know that they're just a game changer in every aspect. Right. Um. Just to wrap up '98 Finals. Um. The nineteen ninety eight finals had the highest Nielsen TV ratings in NBA history at eighteen point seven, and it surpassed the. Well, it had higher ratings than the nineteen ninety eight World Series, the first time that the NBA had a higher rating. For the finals higher than any baseball round, including the World Series. So when you mentioned impact, you know, a lot of people watch the World Series. It don't matter what year, who's in it. Uh, everybody's favorite pastime. But to have the NBA Finals being watched more than the World Series in that year, again, it, it goes to maybe it is going to be the final year of the dynasty. Maybe Michael Jordan is going to retire. Or maybe the fact that Michael Jordan is even in the in the NBA Finals, that's why they're watching it. Uh, maybe the fact that they thought that Chicago was maybe going to lose against Utah because the team, could, you know, the team kept getting older and older and older. You never know. They might get knocked off. But to have so many people at that time, 
again, before the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube, Yahoo, social media, all that, you know, digital stuff online, you you had to watch it live. No DVR at the time. You was watching every playoff game, every finals game live. And I think that, you know, people can say that, oh, now it's kind of easier to watch, you know, your favorite TV show or your favorite games. But the ratings may not be that high. Back then, 20 years ago, either you were at home watching on TV or you watching it, the, the highlights on Sports Center. So just to get that many people higher, higher than the World Series, which was uh, the Yankees against, um, I think, the Padres in 98. Yeah, Padres. Padres so again, the Yankees going for a three-peat. As, uh, no, uh, the beginning of a three-peat uh, in that year. Um after winning it in, in, in 96 compared to Jordan and trying to get a three-peat, still a lot of people saw that those finals. But um, but not many would know that after, after that, to, to, to the timeline, that Phil Jackson would leave, Jordan would retire, Pippen would leave, Rodman's out of here, Steve Kerr out of here, a couple other guys out of here. And you start the decline of the Chicago Bulls as you once know it. So the first domino to fall, Phil Jackson, just a week after winning the championship, June 22nd, 98, he leaves. And it's not like he leaves to a different team. He just takes a year off. He comes back as a coach for the Lakers the following year. So when Phil Jackson leaves, are you at home saying, man, this, this could be it, or are you, were you shocked at the fact that Phil Jackson left the, the Chicago Bulls? You know, at that time, I, I you know, I think it's going to be the same way when, uh, you know, again, I like these sports analogies, but it'll probably be very similar once Belichick walks away from the Patriots. You know, what's going to come first? Is he going to go first, or is Brady going to go first, or are they going to go together? I think at that time, in my recollection, I just remember the feedback was very similar. You know, the debate at that time with Phil was, is he this great a coach or is he just fortunate enough to be a very good coach with some of the greatest players of all time, specifically maybe the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. So, you know, I don't know for sure if Phil just acknowledged the fact that it might be time for a fresh start, knowing that MJ was not going to be in the fold or maybe you know, again, like we kind of said before, we alluded to it before, Randy, you know, and life and in sports, all good things must come to an end. And mm -hmm. even that great dynasty of the Bulls was going to come to an end. Um, and it's sad, you know, it's sad as a fan, even a, even a sports fan, because, again, I think as someone that watches sports, you have to appreciate greatness. I'm not a Golden State Warriors fan, but my goodness, they were so incredible to watch. You know, I, I, I'm all, I already miss watching those guys play. You know? Mm -hmm. um, and again, not, you know, not, not specifically a Warriors fan. A couple guys on that team that I really enjoyed watching play. But watching them together, realizing that it's almost totally unfair that this collection of players are together, was the same feeling I had about that Bulls team. You know, even if they didn't have let's say five all-star starters, I think on both three-peat teams, you had Jordan Pippen, Horace Grant, 
and then Jordan Pippen, Dennis Rodman. And I think Rodman was even more of an upgrade than Grant was. And then you mix in, you just look back at, you know, you're not even mentioning Tony Kukoc. I mean, they had some set of role players, you know, Armstrong, Kerr, John Paxson. Yeah. They had shooters. They had, you know, Bill Cartwright was instrumental on a couple of those championship teams. And this was a guy that had been a star. They had a lot of really good players. And I think Phil Jackson was always a very good coach. I don't I don't think that that is something that should be looked past. You know, I'm sure it helps to coach players like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. But at that time, I think he might have just said, you know what? It's time to leave Chicago and start over because the writing, I think, was on the wall that this team was going to be dismantled. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Kukoc. He would go on to Philly to, to continuation, the continuation of the dismantling. Kukoc would go to Philly. Luke Longley would go to Phoenix. Um, and eventually the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different show for a different day, Bob. Luke Longley on the uh, New York Knicks, huh? That's crazy. Um, but just just to give clarification, so before 98, in in the summer of 97, kind of giving, like you said, handwriting was, was on the wall. So Phil Jackson, Jordan, and Rodman all signed one-year deals. So again, again, they were free agents at the time. At the end of the the, the fifth championship, they signed a one year deal. Um, Scotty, who was already on contract, and his contract was going to expire at the end of '98. So basically, those four people were on one year deals. So again, the question of whether anybody was going to come back, nobody was going to know until after the season. So kind of give more detail the fact that. Phil, in an interview, kind of said that he kind of knew that Jerry Krause was trying to get rid of him. I guess they weren't on good terms. And it's the same for Krause and many other people on the Bulls, including Pippen, who won it out, I think, uh, in 95. They tried trading him in, in 94, 97, um, and 94, 95, and 97, but this, it just, you know, did not happen. But Phil mentioned that they might they might take uh they might bring in Tim Floyd from from um Iowa State before the '98 season began. So he already had some inclination that Jerry Krause was a, was a fan of Tim Floyd, which I wasn't at the time. And you kind of saw what the record was when they got him. But even a, a smart guy like Phil, he kind of knew that Krause was searching around for Phil's uh replacement. Also. Real quick, that Phil in back in '95, Phil Jackson told Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf that he he would return for '96 uh, for that '72 and '10 year if they got rid of, of of every player from the original three P, including Pippen. I, I, I'm assuming they might keep Jordan or they might let Jordan go. I just don't know. But Jerry Krause just wanted everybody out, and I think Phil said, "I would come back if you get rid of." Every player because he had a thing. Um, it was called a seven-year theory. Some shit he came up with where, after seven years, it, the players might get tired of hearing the same voice. So you, you got to keep moving on, moving on, moving on. So he felt I got seven years here until they start feeling like my voice is becoming like 
I'm getting tired of you or did they want to move on from a different coach? So only if MJ stayed in uh, the, the only way, only reason why that did not happen because Jordan came back from baseball. So which led Phil Jackson to say, you know what? Michael comes back. We got a whole new roster. Uh, BJ is gone. Bill Cartwright is gone. Horace Grant is gone. So he, he, he's getting new faces, new blood in Kukoc and Kerr and Ron Harper. So as he wanted, it's a different team from the original three people. He still had Scotty, and of course, he'll get Michael. Um, and then, of course, we know Phil Jackson will leave Chicago and go on to the Lakers. But the, the, I think the main reason why Phil leaves is because of the dynamic between him and Jerry Krause. You know, Randy, another thing that comes up, you know, as you kind of bring up all of these points, too, is I often wonder, and it applies also to that Bulls team and that franchise and those players, if even the players themselves sometimes lose sight of how good they have it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I made that point this summer with KD going. You know, I've seen it so many times where championship teams, I think it, I think part of the point is it is very difficult to win one championship. It's extremely difficult to repeat, let alone three-peat, and keep championship teams together. Because we all know when a team wins, the first thing is everybody wants to get paid. So a big thing that happens is it's hard to keep, especially in the free agency era, championship dynasties together because those guys, some of the you know second or third tier guys that might emerge during a playoff run, they can leave and make money. They can cash out somewhere else. So sometimes the role players or even the secondary stars get paid to be number one guys on other teams. So that's the first thing. But the other thing that comes to mind is the fact that I often wonder if the players themselves get tired of the narrative, maybe because it's too easy. You know, maybe it becomes too easy to win championships and they lose sight of how incredible it is that they have. It. You know, um, I think that goes back to, like I said, it even applies to other sports. You know, like I wonder to myself if Tom Brady can win without Belichick or I wonder if Belichick can win without Brady. Just like at that time, the conversation I'm sure was, can Phil Jackson win more championships without Michael Jordan? You know, he went on to prove that he could, but he found the next best thing. And maybe some of that's dumb luck in Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. And then acquiring another great player like Shaquille O'Neal in free agency. But I, I think, I, you know, the thing that comes up for me is you wonder if the players appreciate what they have when they have it. You know, I, I see it even in other sports. I know you're not like a big motorsports guy, but, you know, right now the toast of Formula One is Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. They're, they're the equivalent of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan in their respective sport. And there's been talk that Hamilton could leave Mercedes and go to Ferrari because that would be like, you know, that would be like a big name player going to a, you know, let's say another big name team like the Yankees or whatever it might be. And, you know, the only thing is, is that old that whole narrative about like, well, this is the best team. You are the best player. If you're winning championships, why would you even consider going somewhere else? You know, if you were Michael Jordan, now I know his father passes away, but, you know, I think it was shocking that he walked away from the game the first time because he was at the top. He was at the pinnacle of the sport, mm. you know, and it was 
I don't think it was as shocking to see him walk away at 35 as it was when he had walked away, you know, three, four years before that. Yeah. Um, the one point, at, matter of fact, do you recall? I mean, it's no longer the record, but when Jordan signs the one-year contract in 97, 98, do you know how much he got paid for in that one-year contract with Chicago? I'm going to say $25 million. I would tell you, you need to go a little higher. <laughs> now, mind you, uh, th- mind you, it's a one-year deal, un- unheard of. Obviously, people now are getting paid more per year, like LeBron and Curry. But at that time, Michael Jordan signed a one-year contract for $33.1 million. Wow. Well, again, you know, I, I can't stress enough how it's so easy for people to forget what somebody was as time passes, you know? Um, and it, that's almost, it's tragic, actually. It's tragic how we forget, or, or again, the younger generation didn't get to see, you know, it would be the same, you know, the same thing that comes up when I talk to someone that got to see players that I never got to see, whether it's Julius Irving or Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain or even Kareem at the top of his game. Um, I would say the same thing about someone now, a young person now that never saw Jordan play. I mean, you you got 20-year-old kids that weren't even, you know, they were babies when 9-11 happened. So they're not going to remember Michael Jordan in 1998. They weren't even born yet. True. Very true. Um, The next domino to fall. So Phil Jackson's out of here. That's part one. Part two, the next domino and the biggest domino uh, will be in January thirteenth, uh, nineteen ninety nine. Michael Jordan retires from the game. Um, pretty much after, you know, bitter tension with him and Jerry Krause. Um, he, Jordan did say that he would not play for any other coach uh, except for Phil Jackson. So he leaves, and that kind of tells you the answer of, of what Michael was going to do. Um, at the time, when asked if any, you know, if there's, if there will be any chance that Michael would come back again at the time, he said 99.9% that he would not return to the game. And we all know that, you know, we'll get to it. He'll, he'll return two years uh, later. But he did say that he would have stayed and come back in 99 if Phil Jackson was like a, G, uh, a, a GM or some, uh, uh, like, like an owner or something up, you know, up top, um, as opposed still with, to still with the organization, still with the organization, no Jerry Krause, but have Phil Jackson involved somehow, some way that would have been the only way Michael would have stayed, but that did not happen. So Michael is retired for the second time. Um, again, I'm putting you back in 99 when Jordan retired for the second time. What's, um, What's going through your head, man? Are you saying, man, the, the greatest player of all time is, is out of here? Who is going to take his spot? Are my Knicks going to win a championship now? What's going on? Yeah, I think the first thought that came to mind was the Knicks have a shot. <laughs> the second <laughs> thought that came to mind was I never thought Jordan would play again. Yeah. You know, and, and at that time, I, I, you know, again, he would be 
35 was older, but he was so great at 35 still. Mm-hmm. You know, he was walking away as an elite player. Um, I think, you know, you think of other great players that walked away maybe too soon. You know, even again, I, I always parallel different sports, but, you know, Barry Sanders in the NFL, there have been some players that might walk away before, you know, before time should expire on them. There was a feeling that Jordan could have played at the very least another two or three seasons. I mean, clearly he took two years off and came back and was still relatively good. You know, I think that's the thing, too, that people, you know, people forget with pro sports, Randy, is I think it's extraordinarily difficult to ask somebody to step away from the game at length and come back. I mean, that that might be a testament to how great Jordan was as well mm-hmm. for him to walk away from the game and come back and still be the best player in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Because you go away to for what a year and a half. The game is, you know, changing not that much, but you're getting a lot more high profile players you're getting different teams that are competing like New York, like the Rockets, Indiana. Um, you know, Seattle was a tough team when Jordan was out. So it's like saying, all right, Jordan's not here, but we have a lot of teams and players that, that you know you guys should really watch all the time and know about, and they're getting their shine because now they feel like there's an even playing field. And again, when I'm watching as a kid, you know, Chicago was my team. Michael was my favorite. Scotty was my second favorite. So now when Michael's gone, even them, to kind of go rewind, Chicago still won 55 games with, you know, without Michael in 94. And then people start saying, well, okay, like, you know, were they still as good without Michael or maybe better with, you know, without him? I, I don't know, but... Again, 55 games, you go to the conference semis, you lose in game seven to New York. So, it, it you know, there's a lot of up and down when it comes to that franchise. But, you know, when Jordan goes away for the second time, you're kind of saying like, man, all right, this, it's a wrap, man. You know, Jordan's 35. Again, Jordan was 35, averaging 29, 5, and 4. Because not like he was putting up, you know, bummy numbers. Um, still playing 82 games a year, which I think gets overlooked too. So when he came back in 95, you know, it was like 20 games, whatever, they lost to Orlando. When he comes back in 96, he plays all 82 games. 97, he plays all 82 games. 98, all 82 games. And he's 35 years old, where people now nowadays are 24, 25 years old, 29, can't play back-to-backs. So again, yeah. that kind of shows you just management where, management is the word that kind of shows you where the league is now and where it was a hundred percent i mean listen you don't randy you don't have to sell me on michael jordan no but sometimes you kind of like make you want to put more fuel to the fire of the argument because people out there are going to say lebron's the greatest and lebron it's great you know, no, no denying. I did not see Magic in his prime. I did not see Bird in his prime, Isaiah. So I know about him. I saw a couple things, but I can't really say that's my favorite or he's the GOAT. I've seen Michael Jordan's whole career. And to me, he he's, you know, arguably the greatest of all time. But to me, he's he is the GOAT. And for me as a fan to see him walk away, 
And again, not knowing that he'll come back in two years later, it's just like, all right, so now it's like, who am I going to root for? Who am I going to watch? Where's the NBA going to go? So I think that was the biggest question at that time. That, all right, Jordan's out of here. Chicago's done. Who's going to step up and take over the reign or be the next uh, dynasty? So, I mean, listen, Randy, even that point you make, so they win the six championships, right? I've heard some fans, I'm not, I'm not, and again, I'm not trying to knock him because he was incredible too, but you know, we'll tell you all Pippen was the better all-around player. Pippen was a better, you know, maybe the better player, right? Mm-hmm. So they win the six championships. He was the finals MVP in every single one of them. Right. Why? You know, why? There, there's a group of people from that era, including teammates, that'll tell you Jordan wasn't even well-received. There's a lot of people that might even come out, you know, detractors will say as well, that Jordan wasn't particularly that good of an individual away from the game. He was probably very much the equivalent of what you've seen to some degree with other players in other sports, you know, like a Barry Bonds, who was this phenomenal player, but maybe not so well received by teammates or opponents or even media. I don't think everyone really loved Michael Jordan. But again, circling back to the original point that I believe both you and I have made, whether you like him or not, you can't deny how great he was. So the next domino, Bob, would be January 19th, 99. Scottie Pippen. Is gone from Chicago. He goes in a sign and trade, I believe, to the Houston Rockets to team up with Barkley uh, and Olajuwon, an aging Barkley and an aging Olajuwon um, for $67.2 million in the sign and trade. So Pippen is out of here. He goes to Houston, West Coast now. They're trying to win a championship, give Barkley his first ring. So Phil's gone, Michael's gone, Scott is gone. The the three pillars of that of that dynasty are all gone. So yeah, I mean that that's the that's it. That's the breakup right there. <laughs> Ain't no coming back from that. When you get Michael gone, Scotty, Phil's like man, like all right, Scotty would have stayed maybe, but still he's gone. And I think the very next day, matter of fact, Pippen was traded for Roy Rogers. And a second-round pick. Yeah, I mean, that's not very much for a <laughs> Hall of Famer. Um, no. Then, like, I think within the same week, Steve Kerr goes to San Antonio. So another another domino is falling within that franchise. So I knew Steve Kerr would go on to win two more titles with the Spurs. So he'll have five as a player, then ultimately two, three more with the Warriors as a coach. So, um, so you talk about from June to January, um, a four or five month process, six months. The Chicago Bulls are what you knew as a as a dynastic team, all great franchise in sports, looked nothing like what they were when they began. The '99 season, which which was also a lockout year, which which is a different show for a different day, but the lockout comes in. You get 50 games, and then comes February 13th, '99. Dennis Rodman leaves the Bulls too. He goes to the LA Lakers 
in February of of, of ninety nine, he'll get cut by fe- uh, by 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 April. But still, everybody's leaving. It's like holy shit, what's going on? I've never, I, Bob, I never saw that in my life. Where it, it just like it, it, it reminds me of like what the Marlins did in the, in the fire sale in '97 and and '03. You win a chip, yeah, they were not a dynasty, but they won a chip, and I don't think they brought anybody back the following season. And it was like, I get it, you're not gonna get it, you know, you're not gonna get along with your owner, your GM, teammates, your coach. But it's like, damn, everybody left. And it's like the Chicago Bulls have not been the same uh, to me. And we're going on 21 years since that happened. Yeah, they, they made a playoff with D. Rose and all that, MVP. But to me, Chicago Bulls has, it, it, it has not been like relevant in the NBA. The same goes for my Knicks. They have not been relevant in, in over 20 years because of how they played and the, the ups and downs with that organization but New York and Chicago man just haven't been the same in 20 years I mean it makes sense Randy I mean it goes back to the point I think I made before is that it's very difficult to find franchise game changing players Michael Jordan clearly was one of those players and I think Patrick Ewing who will never get the love that Michael Jordan gets was very much an all-time great player. Patrick had won a championship at the high school and the college, and of course, as the starting center on the, you know, arguably the greatest team of all time, that 92 Dream Team. So he won gold medals just like Carmelo Anthony has. But Patrick couldn't win the uh, elusive NBA championship. But the point, you know, goes back to again, and a lot of that had to do with Michael Jordan. The mm. point goes back to again is that when you find these kinds of players, they usually transform. I mean, the Bulls before Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen, the Bulls were one of the worst teams in NBA history. They had never won anything. Mm-hmm. Just like the Patriots. The Patriots were one of the worst teams in football before they found Belichick and Tom Brady. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of New England fans that do think about what life is going to be like when those guys are gone. I would not be surprised if New England is not able to sustain this level of success and dominance Mm. once they leave. And the Chicago Bulls proved that, too. You know, that once Jordan and Jackson and all of these other cast of stars were gone, they were hard to replace. You know, I think Jackson is... One of the greatest coaches of all time. There's no denying the place in history that Jordan has had. And I think, you know, some of those players, like even a guy like Tony Kukoc, Randy, that's a guy that if he would have come to the league now, like if he was up for grabs now, he would not have been like a third or fourth part on an NBA championship team. He would have been a guy that would have been signed to be the number one guy on a team. That's how good he was. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I do want to point out the the impact that Jerry Krause had, and and there's a lot of bullet points, and I just, just I want to get your thoughts on it real quick. But you know, he was a guy that drafted Jordan, or said it says he drafted Jordan. Um, he he gets Phil Jackson from the CBA. He fires Doug Collins, who was a coach at the, at the time. He hires Phil Jackson. 
I believe in 87, 88, maybe the latest 89. I could be wrong with that. Um, he trades for Scottie Pippen in 87 when Seattle uh, drafted Scottie. So, you know, that, that that's a major what if. What if Scottie Pippen stayed with Seattle? You never know. Um, he trades Charles Oakley to New York for Bill Cartwright, which many many people say is a very underrated trade for the Bulls. Um, they start Horace Grant at that time. He brings in Kerr, Bill Wennington, the you know the Rodmans, the Harpers, and uh, to recreate the second three peat. He gets rid of uh, longtime people like Stacy King and Will Purdue, and brings in Luke Longley. And, and I said Rodman. Uh, but the one thing, many people go back to Krause. That was kind of the beginning of the downfall when he said the the famous quote that organizations win championships. So when Michael hears that, he says he, he's like, what what is he talking about? You know, he he's not by a quote. He's not sweating out there like I am. Yeah, he can say organizations win championships, but I didn't see any organizations playing with the flu like I did in Utah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's it's a good point. I mean, it's definitely a good point. I mean, I think there is something to be said, though, about having the right leadership at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, ownership, whether it's the president or the GM um, or obviously the head coach. I think there's something to be said about that. I don't think there's anything in that respect that's completely wrong on his part for maybe making those remarks. And of course, you know, listen, everything at the end of the day, Randy, is perspective. You know, if you're a general manager and you put a, a team together, yeah, you want to get some credit for it. You know, those are the collection of guys that you put together to win a championship. I just think, you know, there's so many factors that go in to putting together a championship team. I mean, back then, if you watched college basketball, Michael Jordan had hit the biggest shot at the biggest time to lead UNC to a championship in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't the number one pick in the draft. No, uh, one, right? Olajuwon was. You know, it wasn't even the number two pick in the draft. <laughs> so, you know... With player evaluations and talent, you never really fully know. I'm sure the Rockets, for as good as Olajuwon was, and I do very well tell people that he's a guy that maybe we don't talk enough about mm-hmm. these days because he wasn't all. I mean, the, you know, the the dream shake will will live on uh, is one of the you know that's like the the sky hook you know. Um, but Olajuwon was a great player. I, I'm sure the Rockets would go back and take Michael Jordan if they knew what he was going to become. And I don't think there wasn't anybody that thought he would become a very good player. But I don't know if there was anybody at that time that would have thought he would become that great a player. I think there's a lot of things that go into making teams and players great. You know, I do think Jackson had a huge impact on Michael Jordan. And that's probably why he made the comments that he made about not wanting to play for any other coach but that guy. Um, 
And even as a general manager, you know, sometimes you make moves and trades and you might think they're going to be good moves and they end up being even better moves than you thought they were going to be. You know, they might have thought Pippen was going to be a good player, but he ended up becoming one of the most well-rounded and accomplished players in the league. You know, I don't I think some of this stuff is just a crapshoot. You know, you put together a collection of guys, how they mesh together. You can't really you can't really foresee how that's going to come together you know there there's no there's no exact like blueprint where you go okay if i get this guy and that guy and this guy i'm automatically going to win a championship there have been plenty of great teams that haven't won championships whether they lose you know even an epic series um you know i i just think it's one of those things there's so many factors that go into teams winning and it starts at the top I still think you need to have good, you know, coaching. I don't think there's any any NBA franchise that's won an NBA championship that hasn't had a good coach. You know, I, I can't think of one at least. Um, and sometimes it's just a timing thing where you have the right players at the right time buying into the system. The coach is doing the right thing. The GM has put together a really good franchise. Uh, I just can't believe at that time now that you're bringing up all these memories mm-hmm. that the Bulls would just you know even dismantle that team. I think as an owner or a president or a general manager or any of those guys, you would say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to ride this thing out as long as I possibly can. I'm not going to be the reason why this thing ends. Yeah, or, you know? or, or, or even trying to make it to make it work, like listen, man. I know we we're not getting along, but listen, we we just won three in a row. Um, I think that we can still be competitive next year, and I think we can we can win next year. Let's let's try for one more one more go around. But I think Jerry Krause really was, you know, for what I read and see, he was really adamant about just moving on, and and I never, I never understood that. I, I obviously. The people there, Phil, Michael, and Scotty, never understood. Listen, Scotty is Scotty wanted out in '95. He was. I, I seen the video. As a matter of fact, I put it up. It was All Star Weekend '95, getting interviewed by Craig Sager, and it was near the near the trade deadline. And he flat out asked him, "Do you again? You 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 won't see that today in today today's NBA, where people just flat out say I want to be traded." But he asked him. Would you want to be traded by the trade deadline? And he said, "Yeah." And it was like, "Oh shit!" Like you just really, like again, this is '95, a month before Jordan comes back. And I think that's very important to say. And I think when when Michael comes back, Scotty, Scotty, he ain't going nowhere. But prior to that, he wanted out. They tried to they tried to they tried to trade him in '94 to Seattle for Kemp and uh. Ricky Pierce, that ain't happened, and Sean Kemp told me that told me that himself. Um, he Pippen wanted out in '95. Uh, he wanted to be traded to Phoenix. I forgot for who, but it, it would have had him and Barkley on the same roster. So you talk about Dan Marley and some other people going. So Pippen could have been a Phoenix Sun in '95. There were rumor a rumor that he could have been traded to Boston in '97. So Pippen could have been out three three different times. And I think him and the Jerry Krause rapport w- was not great. Same with Michael, same with Phil. So it, it just became a point where, listen, man, 
we all we all got to get out of here at some point. Jerry Krause ain't going nowhere. He's the owner, GM, whatever he, whatever he was. He ain't going nowhere, so we got to go and move on. Um, but I think the next domino was Phil in the summer of 99. He agrees to become the, the coach for the Lakers. So mind you, L.A. has Kobe, Shaq. They just got swept in the conference finals. Um, I'm sorry, conference semis to San Antonio, which will become the, the, the eventual champion. And you bring Phil on board, and they get a three-peat themselves, and they become a dynasty in the early 2000s, and Phil resurrects his career with that. Um, and then a year after Jordan, in January of 2000s, he signs with the Wizards as a part owner and the head of basketball operations. So now Michael's back in the game in some capacity, but with the Wizards. Um, when that happens... Are you surprised that Michael comes back in that kind of capacity, number one? And two, he's with the Wizards, not the Chicago Bulls. You know, Randy, that did not surprise me because the thing about competitors like Jordan is that, like I said to you earlier, it's just so difficult to walk away from the game. Now, maybe he returns with the team you wouldn't expect him to return with, but I think it illustrates the point that even when players say goodbye, there's always that 1% that they could come back, whether they do or they don't. Like I bet you Barry Sanders, even as humble as he is, probably did consider it at some point. You know, the big story, obviously these last couple weeks with the deadline looming is whether Gronkowski will return to the Patriots and sounds like he won't this year. Doesn't mean that he won't take the year off and come back and maybe pursue an NFL career again next year. Mm -hmm. But I think at the time, Jordan was trying to find things to fill the void left by basketball. You know, and I, I, again, it's off topic here, but I do think that that's a big reason why Jordan is such a gambler because I think he's such a, a big time competitor and he's so confident in himself and his abilities that he always thought no matter how bleak things could have been in a series or in a game that he could turn the tide and, and win that game, win that series, be the best that I just think it's probably very hard, even at his age now to find things that fill the void left behind in being the best player in the NBA. And I think that that's where things like, like I said, maybe maybe the gambling, challenging yourself, whether it's in a sport like golf. I mean, he ended up taking golf as a big, you know, big thing, I think, to try to fill the void or even eventually trying to become the best executive in the game. You know, and again, there's there's not a lot of translation, Randy, in terms of being a great player and becoming a great coach. And I think there's not a lot of translation in terms of being a great player and becoming a great executive. Some of them are able to do it. Some of them are not. And I think there are some players that were okay players or average players that go on to be much better coaches and executives than all-time great players. Yeah. And Jordan, for some reason, has not had anywhere near the level of success 
as an executive that he had as an NBA star. So he becomes the part owner of Washington, head of basketball operations, January of 2000. They win 19 games that year. He hires Doug Collins. And then I'm going to get to his wizard days in a second, but I'm going to put you to the fire right now because I did forget this part in the timeline. And I, I put a, I put a poll out on my, on my Twitter earlier, but if you take the 1998 Chicago Bulls team, if they come back as they were for the 1999 season, and let, let's say it is a lockout year. So the lockout happens, the Bulls come back intact, everybody. And you put them up in the finals against the San Antonio Spurs and not the New York Knicks. So if it's Chicago and, and San Antonio in the finals in 99, who do you think wins that finals? That's a great question. I'm still taking the Bulls. Mm. Got to tell me why, Bob. Got to tell me why. So I think the Knicks, and again, I might be biased here, but I, I think the Knicks could have won even that series. By the time they got to the finals that year, they had already lost Patrick to that devastating injury, and they had a whole bunch of guys that were hurt. You know, Larry Johnson was not 100%. He played, but he was not as good as he had been in the previous series. Marcus Camby was banged up. And the Knicks actually still played pretty well. I mean, they had, they had a few stars on that team. That houston Sprewell combination that was a tandem that would go to the All-Star game even back then, um, albeit maybe with a couple guys that were playing out of position. So I think the Knicks did pretty well in that series, and I don't think that the uh, the Spurs were what the Spurs were set to become yet. You know, Duncan was still, you know, you're talking the infancy of his career, and the Admiral was, I would say, more towards the tail end of his career. What what made that team so special was the role players. You know, I I, I think back to, you know, Mario Eli and some of these guys that had been on other championship teams that were in San Antonio. But I think that since that was the Spurs' first championship, I think in that finals, and again, it's all hearsay, but in that finals, you would have still had to have taken the uh, the Bulls because of, of what they had been. But, you know, maybe the same thing applies to what we saw this year, this past year. You know, that Golden State had been the unbeatable team, but it was nearing an end. And usually that end for a lot of dynastic teams does come at the most climactic moment. You know, I don't think anyone had Toronto winning at all, even if they were good. You know, maybe the Spurs would have upset the Bulls, and that would have been the end of the dynasty. Because again, all, all good things, as hard as is, you know, as hard as it is to say, all good things do come to an end. And at some point, that Bulls team was going to be—I don't want to say dismantled, but that Bulls team was not going to be what it once was. They were going to, you know, players were going to come and go. But I, I still think I would have given them the edge in that final. Yeah. Okay, so you 
you still say Chicago in 94, 95 would have beat the Rockets and, and 99 would have beaten San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, that Houston team was really good too, man. They had a lot of great role players, you know. Um, and again, I think that's a big part of winning a championship. I think you will look back on that Toronto Raptor team from last year, even with Kawhi Leonard as the star of that team. And you'll look back in 10, 15, 20 years from now and go, man, they had some bench. They had a really good bench, you know. Um, I, I think it's possible that that Rockets team could have potentially upset the Bulls in one of one of those two years. And maybe we would have seen a rematch, you know, vice versa. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, Randy, I can't I just can't fathom anybody upsetting Jordan and Pippen during that run. You know, as a Yankee fan, too, and watching those dynasty teams of the late 90s and early 2000s, once the Yankees had hit their full stride, and this is a different sport because baseball is different, longer season. Um, but, you know, the Yankees were uh, very much that equivalent. You know, the 98 Yankees were unbeatable pretty much. They were 125 and 50 if you include the playoffs. So that would be like the Bulls winning 70 games, you know, um, that eventually those teams start to have a sense of aura around them that, you have to see it to believe it in terms of watching that team fall. You know, in other words, mm. I could not wrap my mind around someone beating those Bulls teams. I would have had to have seen it. Not that it couldn't have happened, but I would have had to have seen it. You know, um, I feel the same way to some degree about, about the Patriots. I think, you know, they've shown... That And I'm not a Patriots fan either, but they've shown that in those games, they're pretty tough to beat. And you could even make a case a couple of years ago with them losing to the Eagles. You know, had Butler played in that game, <laughs> you know, I don't know if Philadelphia wins that game. You know, and, and, the, and the NFL, of course, is different because it's one game as opposed to a series. Mm. But, you know, there are certain teams that you there's just an aura about them that you say, man, they're going to be tough to beat. Our Golden State, to me, was the same way. You know, um, it took an epic series by LeBron James and the Cavaliers in seven games to upend Golden State. And I think it took an epic series last year by the Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard, who is arguably the best two-way player in the NBA, to beat the Golden State Warriors. And, in, and in injuries. I mean, how many injuries could Golden State sustain including the knockout blow of Kevin Durant. Now, so yeah, um, to be, you know what, to be fair, if I read you the 1999 roster for San Antonio, you could still tell me, yeah, Chicago still, or maybe, eh, you know what, San Antonio had a shot. I'm, I'm going to be fair. This is who they had. We know Tim Duncan. We know David Robinson. Antonio Daniels, Mario Ellie, Sean Elliott, Jaron Jackson. I'm not counting Steve Kerr because I'm saying he's still on Chicago. Jerome Kersey, Will Perdue, Malik Rose, Brandon Williams. That's who they had. That's who beat the fucking New York Knicks. 
Yeah, but some of those guys were good role players. Randy Kersey was a good role player. Mm. I told you already about Ellie. He stands out in that series. And yeah. Ellie, it was a really good, you know, third wheel on that team. Um, you know, a shooter. They had shooters. I mean, listen, like I said to you, that Knicks team, of course, too, didn't gel until late in the year. They're the first eighth seed to get to the finals. I don't think they were really an eighth seed. That was a weird year because of the lockout. If that season had played out differently and they had maybe mm-hmm. had more of those games, that Knicks team was better than that. But they missed, you know, they had injuries and they missed Patrick Ewing. I think he was their emotional leader. He might not have been the same player at that point, but he would have helped them in that final series. They were they were a little short on size in the front court. Mm-hmm. And they were playing Chris Dudley, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you that got two guys that are NBA Hall of Famers and the Admiral David Robinson and Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan may very well be at his position the greatest forward to ever play. You know, I would talk maybe greatest power forward mm-hmm. in NBA history, right? right? So you got Duncan and Robinson up front. And the Knicks are trotting out guys like Chris Dudley to start <laughs> in a finals game. And you're asking me whether or not the Spurs, the Spurs should have won that final series? I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, the Knicks needed Patrick Ewing to match up, even if it was 25 minutes a game, and banged up. The guy had played banged up for five straight years at that point and not been 100%. You know, the Knicks at full strength in the finals. And again, that's a big part of winning a championship too, Randy, is staying healthy. You know, right. um, at that point, the Knicks needed uh, they needed to be at full strength because the Knicks were a collection of role players wrapped around those couple of stars too. You know, they, they never had the, the quintessential, like, one starting point guard. You know, you're talking about the rotation of Charlie Ward and Chris Childs. Yeah. You know, and that was a very good combination for them. But they needed, they they were a really good team that year. They played well together. You know, Camby was perfect off the bench. Ewing was at the tail end, but they got all-star play out of Houston and Sprewell. Sprewell found himself again. He was kind of like the anti-hero. They were a nice team. You know, it would have been nice to have seen them at full strength in the finals. And the Spurs, you know, again, that was the highlight, the beginning of what was to come. Popovich is one of the great coaches in NBA history. Robinson was a really good player on some teams where he didn't have other really good players. And now he finally had this one, you know, this one really good Mm. guy, man. You're talking about, like, you know, Tim Duncan is, you know, that's a tough guy to get. And, Look at that team that year before the Spurs. They they basically tanked to get Tim Duncan, and what it did for them for the next ten years. So, I still think Jordan would have beaten that team. I I'm not taking anybody. No, over no, no, no. I, I'm just, I'm I'm just you know I'm trying to find a, find an angle. Um, so only the only thing that ever beat Michael Jordan, Randy, was time. Time is undefeated. And, and the magic, <laughs> Nick Anderson and the Orlando Magic, ninety five. 
That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if on one side, if you have, could you, I laugh when you mentioned Dudley to go up against Robinson and Duncan, but let's say you have who's starting for Chicago: Longley, Longley, Pippen, Rodman, Jordan, Ron Harper in '98 to go up against Duncan Robinson, Sean Elliott, Jaron Jackson, Avery Johnson. That was the starting five for '99. And Avery Johnson was good, man. So, you take that matchup, you still say Chicago. But if I throw out the Rocket roster of Olajuwon, Otis Thorpe, Kenny Smith, 94 was Vernon Maxwell, 95 was Clyde Drexler, and Robert Ory. Man, Max was good that year. So, you're still telling me Chicago beats that, that Rocket roster with the Drexler and with the Maxwell? Uh, and also beats that San Antonio roster. All right, well, let me just go player for player. So, I mean, Jordan and Pippen are better than any any backcourt or guard forward combo that the Rockets could throw at them, right? I mean, you're not take you're not taking Drexler over Jordan. No. So you're not ta- you're, you're not taking anybody over Pippen, right? No, it would have been Ori against Pippen. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Pippen there. Uh, I'm not taking Longley over Olajuwon. No, I think you, uh, you give you give them the the you know the edge right there. Uh, but you, the rest of the roster, then you have Rodman, Otis Thorpe. I mean that Dennis Rodman, Randy, and then you have Ron Harper, Kenny Smith. You know, I might, I might give Kenny Smith the edge there. But I don't think Harper was far behind. Yeah, Harper I think was I think another, was, another really good player. Ron was more defend uh, a, a a defensive guy, not so much on the uh, at that point in his, in his career, it was more about defense than than offense. Um, but then you go Longley, Longley, and, and David Robinson. You're still taking David Robinson in '99 over Luke Longley, I would suppose. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Tim Duncan over Rodman. See, that's tough at that point because again, Duncan's young at that point. Mm. So I, I don't, I can't say a hundred percent. You know, Dem- Dennis Rodman's the greatest rebounder of the generation. He was a terrific defensive player. Um, is Duncan the better player? Yes, when it's all said and done. But that first year. Second year in the league, first second year in the league. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I think. I think Robin would have held his own against the young Tim Duncan. Then you would have had Scotty, Sean Elliott. Yeah, I still think you're going Pippen there, Randy. Come on. I'm. I'm. I'm just laying the facts out. Michael over Jaron Jackson. Yes, and Ron Harper, Avery Johnson. I think you're taking Harper over Avery Johnson, but Johnson had a really good year that year. So you mean to tell me, Bob, you're saying this, that from 91 to 99, Chicago would have won what? <laughs> Nine titles in a row? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think they were the modern day version of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Wow. 
I think it's possible. I mean, listen, luck plays a role in it, too. There could have been a bad series. Someone had a bad series or an injury mm-hmm. could have occurred somewhere along the line. Like I said, you know, I, I probably would have given Houston one of those two championships before I would give San Antonio that ring. Or if you want to tell me, maybe San Antonio gets the ring because at that point, Jordan is, you know, 36, 37. Okay, maybe. You know, Pippen's older, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, like I said to you, I, I look back at those Bulls teams. And, you know, especially at, at, their, at their height with those guys in their prime. It was very much like it would have taken an epic series. It's probably a seven-game series. And, and, you know, LeBron blocking the shot or Olajuwon hitting, you know, hitting a big shot. It would have been an epic series. That's just how I looked at it. Before I get to Michael and the Wizards, finally, um, how weird was it for you to see Pippen in a Houston Rocket uniform in uh, 99? I think it was weird to see all those guys in other uniforms. It was cool when Jordan came back because he was playing again. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. Like, I, I I, still have it, actually. I bought a, a Jordan Wizards, you know, actually a Jordan Bullets jersey because I thought it looked so cool at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the retro throwback Bullets jersey. Right. Um, but, you know, again, yeah, it was weird, you know, because those players became synonymous with the Bulls. Just like Ewing, it was tough to see him play for Seattle or Orlando. Ooh, yeah. It just looked it just looked weird to see him in a Sonics uniform. Terrible. You know? Uh same way with Jordan or Pippen. I mean I, I don't even honestly I don't even think I don't even think of him in a Rockets uniform. That's how much my brain is just every time I think of Scotty, it's in a Bulls uniform. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised that him, Barkley, and Lajuan, um didn't didn't pan out. You you know, on paper, you're like, oh, Pippen, Barkley, Lajuan, man, that, that that sounds like another. I think Clyde was there too, right, Drexler? Yeah, but though, again, that's like that's like the Lakers having Nash. Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant, or, or, or Gary Payton and Carl Malone, right? And Gary Payton and Carl Malone, like you, you're hearing the name, mm-hmm. but you're not realizing where they are at that point in their careers. You know, yes. Carmelo Anthony was a great player, man. I mean, especially offensively, he was at his at his height. He was a terrific offensive player, one of the best offensive players in the game. Uh, he might start for Portland here on out, but at 35 years old, he's not the Carmelo Anthony scoring champion that he was six years ago, mm-hmm. 2012-13, and nor should you expect him to be. <laughs> you know, uh, that's why I think that that's why when you said to me, like, are you picking the Rockets over the Bulls? No, at that point in time, Michael Jordan was how old? He would have been like 30 years old, right? That that year or two, 31? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like Jordan in his ultra prime. At 30 years old, he was unstoppable. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. 
and there was just an aura of invincibility around him. I think teams feared playing the Bulls. <laughs> yeah. Because they so, yeah, they knew Michael was gonna come get them every single time. Yeah. I don't I think the Rockets didn't fear the Knicks, but they would have feared Michael Jordan and the Bulls. So Bob, let me get to why we are here. So Michael Jordan says, you know what, I don't wanna be you know, owner no more. I don't want to be the head of your basketball operations no more, Washington. I want to come back and and play. So we are at September 2001, uh, coming off a Laker back-to-back title. Um, championships for the Lakers. So Phil Jackson wins two more while Michael is away. And Michael says he wants to come back and play for the Washington Wizards, and he debuts as a wizard at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks of all teams. Uh, I, I remember it being on TNT, obviously MS, MSG at the time, and just them talking about how how good it is for the league to have Michael back and very interesting to see where he is or what he could do being at uh, – at 37 years old, it's a it, it's a different team. It's a different talent. It's a different coach. A different venue. This is just a different aura of seeing. Yeah, Michael's back, but he's with the Wizards and not Chicago. Like, um, one, I was happy he he uh he came back. Um, like I told you, big time Jordan fan. Never thought I would see him back, but he did come back, and it looked weird. But the 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 wizard uniform, and I saw the Jordans come out. It's it's blue, it's black, it's white, it's copper. It's like it's different, but it's like man, you know what? I I want to see what Michael can do. He's thirty seven years old. We know he's he he loves a, a challenge. Can he get fifteen a game? Can he get twenty a game? Can he get twenty five a game? Can he still hit a, a game winner or buzzer beater? Those are questions. The questions going on in your head. Can he still do what he did three years prior? So Michael was three years away from the game. Um, before we get into actual stats and stuff like that, when Michael comes back, um, where were you at, at at the time? Were you happy or were you more like one of those fans saying, you know what, Michael, it's cool you're back. But that image of you hitting a game winner against Utah in 98, that should have been the end of your career. So at that time, I am a, uh, I'm 21. So we're talking about, you know, junior, senior in college. Uh, very excited at the time to see Jordan come back because such a big NBA fan. And, I, you know, I think, like I said to you before, when something disappears from your existence it only gives you more perspective you know having jordan be gone for a couple of years even as a nick fan you realize wow i mean we we miss him you know he was a great player he was great to watch and sometimes i think even as as a fan of a team you need the you need the villain i think michael jordan played villain in the nba for a lot of a lot of teams you know he was the guy that you chased he was the goat you know, he's the guy that you want to win the chance. You want to beat him if you can. It would have been very difficult to do so, but you want to beat him if you can. So uh, I think there were a lot of teams and players that felt, okay, Jordan will come back now and 
here's our chance to kind of like, you know, get him back. And some of the young players, whether it's Iverson crossing him over or Kobe Bryant going at him, a young Kobe Bryant, I think a lot of people wanted a shot to uh, poke some holes in Jordan's reputation. But, you know, again, it goes back to what I was saying to you before. You know, Jordan at 37, 38 was still a very good player, but he was no longer the player that was the best player in the game, let alone a guy that was such a great player, maybe on both ends of the floor by that point. And he was also playing with some pretty weak Wizards teams. You know, I, my last recollection of him, Randy, is I went to see him play against the Nets in the Meadowlands. I still think, you know, and again, they don't play there anymore, but I believe he was the all-time leading visiting scorer against the Nets in NBA history. He may still hold that record, you know, the, so the, the player that had scored the most po- uh, points by an opponent, <clears throat> excuse me, and... Um, I think that final time I saw him play live, he he scored nine or ten points against the Nets at the Meadowlands. And again, you know, same thing. It was great to see him. You know, you hear the introductions. You see him in warm-ups, different uniform, but still the same style. And it was great to see him out there on the court. But you realize that you're you're getting uh, a shell of what you once had. So prior to that, real quick, did you know that he was playing a pickup game with Ron Artest and a couple other guys, and Ron Artest uh, broke Jordan's ribs? Did you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> so if Michael wants to come back or have any any thought of coming back, he gets uh, two broken ribs by, uh, by Ron Artest, who I think was a bull at the time. Uh, I don't think he was with Indiana just yet. So there you go. Jordan gets two broken ribs three months before announcing he, you know, he'll come back. But I don't know if that played any significant anything as far as him coming back or not feeling 100%. I don't know. But just want to give you FYI that Bron Artest broke Jordan's ribs in uh, June of 01. Yeah, I mean, I you know, listen, you hear all the stories about Jordan, the competitor, you know, when he played a couple of stories that stand out for me, when he played with team USA, there was a great story about how he, he basically mocked Clyde Drexler so much in practice, you know, and Drexler was the guy that kind of, kind of had been anointed as the, the Western conference version of Jordan. You know, everything that you read and hear is that Jordan was, as great a trash talker as he was a player and almost as psychologically devastating as a star to so many of his opponents. I think he mastered the, the psychological aspects of matching up with somebody one-on-one and dominating them both mentally and physically. So you hear all of these stories about how he would embarrass other players you know you, you look back at some of those moments with him at the free throw line closing his eyes you know just illustrating to his opponent like this is this is child's play for me dropping 40 or 50 points is easy for me on you you know whether it was or whether it wasn't he made it seem like it was you know 
And then you hear all those great stories about him even playing like pickup games with his like 10 year old son, how he was so fixated on winning that he wouldn't even let his own son beat him in a game of pickup basketball. Now that might sound crazy to a lot of people, you and I included, but the guy was driven. I mean, so driven that he was probably borderline, you know, crazy when it came to winning. I think he's compulsively, uh, you know, addicted to winning. Yeah. Which is, which is why a guy, even in his late 30s, probably thought, hey, I'm the best player in the world. I don't give a damn if I'm 37. I'm still the best player in the world, whether he mm-hmm. was or whether he wasn't. And I don't think he was at that point. But I bet you in his mind, Randy, he believed that he could make the Wizards a championship contender. And, and just imagine that, Bob, just imagine if they got into the playoffs. I'm not saying finals and chip, but just imagine he got the Washington Wizards into the playoffs. And he was there two years. Just imagine he got there one time. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I said, that might have been a thought that went through his mind. Or maybe he just said, you know what? I've accomplished everything. I miss playing. Nothing fills the void of playing. I'd like to come back and play again. That could have been what it just was. Mm. You know, and there's so many players in so many sports that hang on for too long. And it's because they just don't want to stop playing. Yeah, and I and I, I could I could understand that I could get that, you know I I think it is hard to walk away from something that you love and something that you become synonymous with. I mean, Michael Jordan to this day he doesn't dribble a ball anymore, but he's still considered, you know, like his his whole life has basically been built around the game, whether it was from high school to college to the NBA or even now as a former great. And I'm sure it's tough when you're the best at something and then eventually somebody kind of like surpasses you. You yeah. know, like Jordan's never going to give any of those guys, even if they really were better than him, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, he's never going to be like, yeah, those guys were better than me. <laughs> you know, it's just not something that a competitor would do or mm-hmm. say. Yeah, for me, I think I think it was cool that when you see Michael, the heyday of him in Chicago, you're seeing him against the Ewings, the Olajuwans, the Barclays, Stockton Malone, Kemp, and uh, Gary Payton. But now when he's back, you're seeing him against Shaq, Kobe, Iverson, Vince Carter, T-Mac, um, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. It's like, whoa, you're seeing him against a whole plethora of, of new people and you kind of get that fantasy matchup man what about what if Kobe or like what if Kobe and, and, and Jordan went one on one what if Jordan and Ray Allen or Marbury or Iverson go one on one what if this and that like now you see him mix in the mix with these guys albeit older but still I think that was a cool part to see kind of like you know yesteryear playing in today's game at that point so we're so used to seeing him against uh, a, a, a certain crop of talent but now you see him against the the, 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 the millennium kind of talent it was like like wow like Vince Carter and, 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 and Jordan going at it T-Mac and Jordan 
going at it. You saw it in the All-Star games when he was there. Dirk Davisky at, at the time, too. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd. I can go on and on. But seeing that talent with Jordan in the mix, uh, for me, was uh, very, very cool to see. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was a whole new generation of stars that were on the up and up. And Jordan was coming back to kind of provide some, you know, some additional entertainment. And I'm sure for the Wizards, he sold plenty of tickets and plenty of jerseys. And I, again, I mean, all I remember from, you know, statistically, I don't have it in front of me, but he was still averaging double figures and, and hitting 20 points. And he was a respectable player in the league still. Now, since you mentioned selling tickets real quick, um, I got it right in front of me. Every game, every home game at the, at the MCI Center was sold out, obviously. Uh, the Washington Wizards were the second most watched team in the NBA during that time. I think number one would be the Lakers because they were champions. But number two were the Wizards. No surprise there, right? No, because again, you were either a Jordan supporter or a Jordan hater. <laughs> and in and, uh, and either case, you were watching to watch him win or you were watching to try and see whether or not Someone could embarrass him and watch him lose. Yeah. Which is why, like I said to you before, you know, there is something to be said about stars that are, you know, greats. I think you see it now with LeBron. There's a lot of LeBron supporters and a lot of LeBron haters. Probably nowhere really in between. You're either in love with the guy or you're rooting vehemently against him. And the same for Kobe. Same for Kobe. I think it's very difficult to find a guy that's a superstar that's that well received that, you know, he's rooted for by the masses. I think a lot of people will tell you the same, you know, again, using these different sports, you know, how many people hated Derek Jeter? How many people hate Tom Brady? A lot. Um, a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. And, and there's always those people that find, you know, that find these like, oh, well, you know, Jeter's good. But he's overrated. Even you know, um, even even a Rod too. You know he's yeah a Rod, a Rod as well. Like you know, there's always something like oh Tom Brady's good, but he's not mobile enough. Or <laughs> you know, um, you know he's only he's only good because of Belichick and the system, stuff like that. You know, it's like yeah, I mean, how many things does somebody have to do before you say? Yeah, this guy's probably the best, or he's pretty darn good. You know, it's the same thing with Jordan. You know, Jordan, yes, he didn't win any championships in the early going of his career, but they were some really competitive teams in Chicago once he figured things out. And once he bought into what Phil Jackson was selling, which is that, you know, MJ, you got to get everybody else involved, including your secondary star, they were unbeatable. Now, I think what's also weird to see that Michael Jordan, when he came back to Washington, he was more of a small forward. I think that was very different. You know, yeah, he plays uh, shooting guard sometimes, but I think Rip Hamilton was there, so they relegated Michael to the three, which was something different. And obviously, he he had to change his game um, as he got older, more of a small forward, like I mentioned, um, back to the basket, low post fadeaways but very rare attacking the basket ducking on people 
stuff like that. He he relied heavily on the mid range game and obviously the the three point range. So it was Michael was back, but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't Air Jordan. He wasn't Air Jordan. Come fly with me, Michael. He wasn't that Jordan. But still, you got you got a more um, older uh, mid range kind of game from him. The same thing with Kobe. You know, as he got older, he was more reliant on the jump shot, mid range, and not the explosiveness. So I think that was kind of different for people to see as well. Yeah, listen. I mean, that's also the mark of a great athlete too is being able to adjust, though. I mean, so if Jordan was still scoring 20, albeit from a different perspective and a different style, it goes to show how great he was. Because there are some players that once they lose that step in any sport, once once the skills are eroded, they cannot make the adjustments in order to stay on top. You know, whether it's a quarterback that doesn't throw as quick or doesn't move as well in the pocket or a baseball player that's lost some power. Right. Or the ability even to make contact. I mean, baseball players towards the the tail end of their careers, even guys like Jeter who hit 300, they didn't hit 300 anymore. That's what happens. You don't, you know, you turn 40, 39, 40, and and you don't hit 300. <laughs> you know, uh, and same thing with an NBA player. I mean, listen, I think r- regular fans, Randy, do not realize how quick these athletes are. So Michael Jordan could blow by anybody playing a pickup game at the park, but now he was getting defended by these young bucks who were also gunning for him, mm. and it was probably hard for him to get that that initial first step past a young Iverson or a young Kobe Bryant, um, and that meant that he had to change his game, use his body a little thicker probably at that point in his life, you know, not not the eighty five Jordan with. Uh, you know, thin rail, thin with the golden chain. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't the same, same the same MJ anymore. Um, just to kind of wrap it up real quick. So, the year prior, he goes to Washington when he's the, the basketball operations guy. They they were nineteen and sixty three, terrible. But when he comes back, both years they win thirty seven games. They 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 miss the playoffs both years. He plays 60 games in 02, 82 games in uh, in 03. So now Michael's, what, damn near 40 years old, playing 82 games. Um, the final year, he averaged 20 points a game. The year prior, he averaged 23 points a game. He made the All-Star team on both occasions, including when um, Vince Carter gave him the the starting nod Vince Carter was voted in as a starter Jordan made the team as a reserve which sounds weird but Vince said you know what this is probably your final all-star game I'm gonna give you my starting spot Jordan tried to tell him no and tell AI no but eventually Michael Jordan ended up starting that game which is kind of cool um also tidbits that the Miami Heat retired the number 23 on February I'm sorry, April 11th of 03. That means nobody can wear 23 uh, as part of the Miami Heat, which I thought it was a cool gesture, which I think every team should do, but there's neither here or there. Um, and his final game would be on April 16th, 03, in Philadelphia, scoring 13 points. Um, also... In the first year back, he scores 51, <laughs> regular Jordan shit, back-to-back with 45. So Michael Jordan still had 
flares of that kind of throwback game, but you you wasn't going to get that every game. But still, to see, I think Michael Jordan was 39 years old, scoring 50-plus. Uh, I think I think that's a record for the being the oldest player to score 50 or more. So that was kind of cool to see a throwback kind of game. But, Bob, I, I ask you this, and we'll wrap it up. Two-part. Does him coming back to Washington do anything negative towards his legacy? No, not at all. Okay. Part two. Is Michael Jordan's career with the Wizards better than what people remember? Oh, it may very well be because, you know what, I did not remember them winning that many games. And, you know, you figure winning in the high 30s is almost like being a 500 basketball team because of the NBA schedule. Um, I mean, again, clearly it's under 500, but it's not far under 500. So they were probably a mediocre basketball team. I just remember Jordan, like you said, more as a shooter um, and having some nights when he would score more, like I said, 10 or 12 points or even 13, as opposed to those, you like, I mean, back in his prime, I mean, it was a given he would score 20. Often by halftime, he would score 20. So um, it's tough to to have some recollection of him not being like unstoppable but i think he was still you know still one of the top players in the game i don't i don't think he was put as a reserve because he was michael jordan i I really think he was still probably an upper tier you know again averaging 20 a game is still means something in the league i think even now if you average 20 in the game it means something yes i i would i would i would think that when you or Pippen going to Houston and Portland, you don't produce the same. When you're Olajuwon going to Toronto, you don't produce the same. Ewing going to Orlando, Seattle, you're just not the same player. Sean Kemp going to Cleveland, Orlando, not the same player. I think Michael is probably the only player that went to a different team and still, I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking about past the prime. I'm not talking about like Shaq going to Orlando from Orlando to LA. It's different, but like going to that kind of team, that roster, that kind of culture at that age. I think he's the best player to go from where he was in the prime and come back to a different team and still be able to to give you flashes of what he's he's capable of doing. Yeah, I'm sure you could probably make that case, make that argument. And, and of course, Randy, I mean, listen, it's Michael Jordan. So, you know, I think you expected him. I mean, listen, even if you had said to me at 50, he's going to come back and try to play again. I I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have averaged 10 points a game at 50. I mean, listen, he was dead serious at that uh, Hall of Fame speech. He was like, you might see me at 50. And this is what, 09? I mean, <laughs> Listen, you, Michael. Michael might get ten a game at fifty. Or at, at 50. I, I think I think he probably could have. You know, he reminds me. Like I said, you know, you put him in that special class, and I, I would not be surprised if by the time LeBron is forty, if he's still that kind of productive. You know, where he's like he's still you know going to get you twenty in a game. But you know, Jordan reminds me a little bit in that sense of an NBA equivalent of somebody like Gordie Howe. Gordie Howe played in the NHL, and then he also played some 
some kind of like semi-pro hockey. I mean, the guy was like 50, 60 years old. He was still getting out there on the ice and scoring some goals. You know, um, he had played in all these different parts of different decades over his career. You know, some some legends just got it like that. You know, where uh, especially probably in short spurts. You know, would you be surprised if Jordan went out and, and, and like I said, hung double figures at 50? Probably not. I mm-hmm. mean, could he do it every night? Maybe not. But it's Michael Jordan we're talking about, right. you know. Uh, I, you know, listen, I, and we're friends because of Hoops in the Sun with, uh, with Kimba Walker. And, I, you know, I remember talking to Kimba about it as well, you know, how he was saying how when he would match up with Jordan in practice that he still had it, you know. Um, and I don't think that stuff totally leaves you, you know, you get older, your body changes a little bit, Mm. but, uh, Michael Jordan's a big, first of all, he's a big guy. People forget about his size, right? Uh, Michael Jordan has very large hands, which is something we talk about with a lot of great athletes like Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's got these huge, huge, huge hands. It makes sense that he palms the ball the way that he does. But, uh, you know, Jordan, you know, those physical attributes, those don't leave. I think what happens is, is the, the cardio, I think, leaves. You know, playing in the NBA is similar to being like a soccer player. You know, it's the back and forth, the up and down, the constant on the knees, the joints, night in, night out, the back-to-backs. Uh, that's hard for a 40-year-old body to do. It's right. not as difficult for a 20-year-old body to do. So Bob, I'll leave you with this one final question. Um, you know the 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 show today is called you know from Chicago to Washington. Obviously, you know the the journey Jordan took from retiring in '98 or '99 to come back to Washington two years later, and all the the domino effects that that, that took place within the three year time time frame. But if there's a fan out there, a young kid who does not know this story, does not know about the Bulls, the Dynasty, Jordan, whatever, going to Wizards. Like, what what should they or what should people know in general about Michael Jordan becoming a Wizard and the domino effect that took place with the beginning of the Bulls Dynasty? So again, Rand, I'm going to turn back to a little bit of this uh, movie analogy. I'm going to go with Indiana Jones. That's what I'm going to, uh, you know, to, to close out the show here, I'm going to give you the Indiana Jones analogy. So okay. the first three movies, the trilogy, phenomenal. All-time great character. I think most fans of Indiana Jones will tell you, they hear the music, they see the hat, they see Harrison Ford and the whip, and they're, you know, they're in all their glory because he was some character. In 2008, they decided to make a fourth film and, you know, it wasn't all that good, but the fans still flocked to the theaters to see Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull <laughs> because they wanted to see Indiana Jones on the big screen again. And I think fans, even if they were worried about what Michael Jordan was going to be when he came back and he was no longer a bull and he was past his prime or, you know, quote unquote, past his prime. The bottom line was it was great to see him out there in a uniform again, even if it wasn't as a bull. But I think, you know, the one thing that you've illustrated tonight, which is probably the coolest part of the retro room, is that when you look back at some of the, you know, the stats 
and you bring back some of these, you know, specific points. Jordan's two-year tenure with the Wizards was probably better than than we give it credit for. I think the reason why it doesn't get the credit that you're maybe saying that it should is because Michael Jordan is being compared to Michael Jordan. And when you're that great as he was, the right moment for him to say goodbye was at the top of the game. You know, he needed to pull the, again, we're going to go television here for this analogy. He needed to pull the Seinfeld. He needed to leave with the number one hit show. They needed to win that championship in Utah. He needed to hit that shot. And that should have been the way to go out, you know. And uh, listen, I know Tom Brady might play until he's 45 years old, but you still can't tell me that the best way for him not to have gone out is to have the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history against the Atlanta Falcons and just say, you know what? I'm out. Deuces. But he came back. He's already won another Super Bowl. And he's clearly, you know, in the conversation to maybe win another one. And I think Michael Jordan, had he stayed with the Bulls, had he not retired that next time, and they kept that team together, that they easily probably could have contended for another another championship or maybe even two. Because if he took two-plus years off, Randy, and still averaged 23 and 20 points a game at almost 40 years old, you know, he missed another two years of his career where he could have competed for a championship with the Bulls. Yeah, and he could have been he could have been the all-time scoring leader at this point. Yeah, I mean, because he basically missed four years of his prime. Yeah. Especially those two years of his prime. Like well, ultra prime at yeah. that point. Well... On that note, Bobby C., um, you couldn't have capped it off any better with the uh, Indiana Jones analogy. I, I can't follow that, so I might as well just wrap up the show. <laughs> so, um, Bob, man, always great talking to you. Always great talking to you about basketball, life in general. Um, I know this won't be your final stop on the Retro Room. I had you on before. I know I will have you on again. You can follow Bob on Twitter at The Voice Bobby C. Great work for BronxNet and uh, WFUV 90.7 FM here in New York. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R E N D Y, the letter J C R U Z. And you can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Bobby C., my man, thank you. Thank you, Randy. Always right, a pleasure. All right, man, take it easy. Good night, brother. All right.